going on everybody welcome back to another episode of views from the baseline on behalf of baseline times this is chevy here as always you guys can follow me at baseline chevy on the twitter machine and if you're listening to this please follow us at baseline times on instagram and twitter as always we are bringing you new content at www.baselinetimes.com man the madness is over a little bittersweet but we are in the building here to talk about the men's and women's 2021 ncaa basketball tournaments recap those and i will go with a round of shoot or pass with my college basketball experts cody and john what's up fellas how are you guys doing hey chevy man i'm feeling a little bit sad that the madness is gone but uh hey man better to have uh, loved and lost than to have never loved at all <laughs> how about you cody bittersweet right yeah man it, it, it hurts a little bit when it's all over but i definitely feel better than i did last year not having anything so and man it was a great tournament boys are the men and the women both had some great tournaments this year it's just now sometimes i'm sitting there and i just flip through the channels and i'm like come on man i need one of those 958 start times like what are we doing come on right right yeah it's a little weird start times no i guys i gotta agree you know um it, w- it was a great tournament despite the fact you know we it, we probably had some bigger excitement this year but it was well worth it here uh definitely as mentioned we'll, we'll recap that a little bit here what, so for the men's side we talked about this last week one cancellation of a game they made it through any kind of covid scares i think indianapolis did a great job would you guys agree you know indy did a great job on this part of it. So shout out to the city. I mean, I thought it went well. I think for anybody, though, you could have really went anywhere. And there was going to be some hiccups. I mean, you're, we're talking about a tournament that usually ranges through, you know, seven or eight states and different big cities. And you have all these, you know, these bigger cities. And they have all these people that are just in charge of usually, you know, about eight teams each and now you're putting all this on indianapolis so there was bound to be a hiccup or two and again what happened with the women is not really on san antonio that's more on the ncaa side of things so i think for for the men you know all in all the goal was you know let's get to the tournament and let's get through the tournament and that was the goal so i think all in all there were some things i think they'll look back on and say i wish we would have done that different i i think maybe in hindsight it would have been more exciting to allow more fans i think that's something that they'll look back on and wish they would have done especially when we look here at the same time uh, a lot of the nba st- uh, arenas are starting to open up for more fans you see what the texas rangers are doing in major league baseball they said forget it we're just going to open everything we're not doing no restrictions and i think the i think the ncaa will look at that and then look back on that jalen sugg shot in the final four and realize how cool of a moment that would have been with at least a 50 to 75 percent capacity crowd and that's it's just things like that but all in all the goal like we said was to get to the tournament and get through the tournament and the ncaa indianapolis everyone involved uh, did just that and you know the one thing we didn't have last year was a national champion we do have one this year so i think that alone makes this a very successful venture for the ncaa Absolutely, yeah. That we do have a champion, uh, which is Baylor. Uh, John, how do you feel, though, about the tournament? Yeah, man. It, like, uh, let me just echo some of uh, some of Cody's statements there. You know, I think it went off pretty well, probably amazingly well compared to what could have happened and maybe some of what the fears were. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the tournament was what it always is. You know, that's uh, kind of a living, breathing thing. You know, nothing nothing ever goes the way that, that you expect it. 
expected to go. Um, you know, we had some phenomenal upsets. We had probably the buzzer beater of, of maybe the of top five of all time. Um, as you mentioned, only one game canceled. Uh, Johnny's Juzang became a bucket, you know, so just like a lot of great things happened. On the flip side, the Big Ten and to a lesser extent, the Big 12 kind of crapped the bed. But uh, you know, overall, it, it was uh, it was probably one of the more memorable and and exciting tournaments of, of my lifetime. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I got to agree with that shot, man. That that was crazy, man. We'll, we'll talk about that here in, in a moment. Um, but we have to give congratulations, John, technically to Cody, who, who beat us in the bracket challenge this year. Uh, yeah, Cody, congratulations, man. <laughs> you got something right. Yeah, a little bit more than we did. I don't know where, and I don't know what, because I mean, I had Texas, I think, in my final four, so I don't, I don't know if it was because my picks were so random. They were like, you know what, give it to this guy. He went on, he went out on a limb. Um, yeah, I'll take it though. I don't. Again, I don't know what I did. I, I had. I'm trying to think of. I had a couple upsets early, and I felt pretty good about it. And if Gonzaga would have won, that would have really helped. But uh, you know, in the end, I think we all had Gonzaga, so that didn't help anybody. So. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We all we all kind of picked Gonzaga, but at the same time, I think it was a round where you just, yeah, I think that second that round of thirty two, you, you definitely got a little bit more points than me and Glow on that one. But uh, yeah, man, congratulations, man. You know, even though we all picked the same uh, winner that lost, um, ah, man, yeah, that, that was a bracket to forget. But I think I, I kind of enjoyed my my busted bracket early on after the round of thirty two, so I can fully just enjoy the rest of this this year being very special. Uh, either way, his, you know, history was made. Uh, Baylor guys, uh, I'm I'm speechless. I don't I don't know what else to say. I mean, <laughs> did we we didn't see that coming? We we talked to the people last week. We just didn't see that coming. Glow. I mean, just no, the overreaction of that championship game, man. Yeah, I mean, just phenomenal game plan, phenomenal execution. I mean, you know, I think I, what more can I say that hasn't already been said? You know, Baylor Baylor could have played. You know the uh, the seventy two and ten Chicago Bulls, you know the whatever year that was, and and probably come out on top uh, for that for that one game, um, and and not just a one game. I mean, they were better than Gonzaga. You know, a- any way you slice it, and any day of the week. So, you know, like we saw, and and I was saying to you guys, so let me. No, I did pick Gonzaga. I did say in, in our group chat there that, hey, you know, if, if Baylor gets a little hot from three, you know, they can beat Gonzaga at 100 percent. And they did. You know, they ended up cooling off. But what I didn't I didn't realize is how dominant Baylor was going to be on the offensive glass. They just they killed it. How many steals they were going to get, especially from from Gonzaga's bigs and particularly Drew Timme, who, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, and and then just know the the transition ball like every every single aspect of the game they they locked it down uh, you know it, it was it, i was i was literally speechless to, to for for a great portion of that game so hats off to, to baylor they they deserve it i mean it sounds odd to say but i think through the first like two and a half three minutes it was very evident that baylor was a much more prepared a much more fresh and a much stronger team than gonzaga and that's really one of the big things that jumped out to me i mean very early on in the game now uh like we did say in the the group chat i think glow was the one who said it you know this is a game of runs and gonzaga's loaded and there was going to be a time they went on a run and they had a few little chances i think they got a 10-2 run there around halftime and they were able to kind of close that gap a little bit but in the end 
they just could not get Baylor off the boards. They could not do anything with them inside. And then Gonzaga, I mean, they just looked so just run down and, and beat up. And I think like three or four guys were were kind of favoring different parts of the body. Were were just looking tired. You know, you had Tim A getting stretched out on, on the bench, and you could tell Suggs was just a little bit tired from everything he had been doing. And Kisper has one of the worst games he's had all year, maybe in his entire career. It just seemed like things just kept piling up on, on top of Gonzaga. But I really think in the end, though, a lot of us kind of forgot about that Baylor team we talked about in November and December. We started looking at that Baylor team post-quarantine, and that was the mistake. You know, we we knew Gonzaga and Baylor had, be, had been the one and two all year long. I really, really wish we could have seen that game in December because I really would love to see how that game would have went compared to the one we've seen in the national championship. But in the end, Baylor was too physical. And, you know, they put on Twitter a long time ago that, you know, they, they work out with the football team. That was a big thing for them. And it's it was very clear that that's not really just a, a little motto. Like, they were some strong guys who went right after rebounds. I think Vital ended up having nearly 10 offensive rebounds. He had eight offensive rebounds in the ballgame. So he only had three defensive rebounds. And, you know, they, they had a game plan. The Fords went in there. Uh, the thing was two of them fouled out, three almost fouled out. They were real physical, and, and they didn't care because at the end of the day, their job is to get rebounds and be physical. The guards would carry the scoring load. Uh, a, a fabulous game from Baylor all around. And it helps when you just run through the tournament and you're not in those overtime buzzer beater situations like Gonzaga was uh, just, you know, two days before. Uh, but in the end, I, I think, you know, Baylor was – better shooting, more physical, play better defense. Uh, they definitely deserve to beat Gonzaga and become the national champions. Yeah, you know, I'm not really surprised of Baylor shooting either. Like, that was the one part that, you know, they just came out firing away in that first half, and that just set the tone for the rest of the game. Um, but, if I mean, if you look at them from the Elite Eight down all the way to the championship game, I mean, the Elite Eight against Arkansas, they shot the three ball 53%. Uh, you know, you look at the Final Four game, uh, where they, they played Houston, they they cruised. They shot 53% overall from the field. Uh, Butler still, still you know, he had 17 points in the uh, game against Houston. Quiet, you know, you could call it quiet 17 if you want, but he shot the ball 67%. I mean, to me, I wasn't surprised. You just would think Gonzaga would come out and have a better, you know, defensive plan <laughs> right out the gate versus what we saw. But, I mean, the turnovers after turnovers for Gonzaga just – just irritating if you were a betting person and relying um, on Gonzaga for your bracket, though. But, yeah, guys, I got to agree with that, man, hands down. It, it wasn't really, it was the, the greatest close game we, we got. There was a little run that, that got Gonzaga made. But when it was all said and done, uh, Baylor took it away. Uh, unfortunately, guys, these, these are the times that I wish it wasn't just a one-and-done thing and guys just didn't go for the draft because these are, these are teams that could be fun to watch three or four years in a row. Um, but, unfortunately, we have the one-and-done. Um, with that being said, though, when it comes to the men's tournament here, uh, Cody, I know you had something to say about your draft board here. <laughs> um, anybody's stock hurt due to their performance, you know, at any point in the tournament, especially the last couple of rounds? Well, I, you know, I, there's a lot of guys rising and following it at this time. You know, everybody's starting to, you know, sort of pay attention. So you'll see a lot of guys fall and rise. I, I think at the end of the day, in terms of rising of the draft board, in my mind, Evan Mobley sort of established himself as that top four guy. I think there was a lot of talk. Uh, still to me, I, I think Cade Cunningham would be your top pick, but I do think Evan Mobley really established himself as the, the big in the draft. Uh, there's a lot of other guys who are 
swing guards and a couple guys who are going to be like some stretch forwards. But I think in terms of the one big man that you have all eyes on in the draft, that's Evan Mobley for sure. Uh, Jalen Suggs really helped his stock. I think he was top 10 entering just based on potential. I think he showed, though, he could be number one or um, the number two maybe number three guard in the draft. It really depends on, on how you're feeling. I've seen some some places today release their draft boards and their mock drafts, and there's some people that have Jalen Suggs as high as number three in the draft. Uh, I wasn't that blown away by him. I, I still think there's some things that he's going to have to improve on to transition to the NBA game. Still think he's definitely uh, top five, maybe even now top eight. Uh, Davion Mitchell looked great from Baylor. Again, you're going to get a great defensive player there, but I think his offense really made a big jump here in his junior year. Glad he didn't come. I, I'm glad he didn't enter the draft after that chaos last year because he needed this year. And, uh, you know, the, the big thing was, you know, we're starting to see a lot of these recruits start to think about going straight to the G League. And I'm fine with that. You know, make your money, man. If you, if you want to go ahead and go pro, I, I still think we have to get to the point where these dudes can go right to the NBA draft out of high school. The G League thing's awesome. But I, I just think you should just be able to enter the draft. I, I can't understand that rule when some of the greatest players in NBA history, and I know there's been busts here and there throughout you know the history, but I mean, we're talking some, some legends who came straight out of high school. Might take a year or two to build, and of course we're not looking for the next LeBron, but you're still going to see some guys go right to the draft. And for me... I can, you know, my scouting report is so much more solid on guys like Jalen Suggs and Davian Mitchell and Evan Mobley. And of course, you know, looking at what UCLA and Johnny Juzang did, I mean, this was a guy who was on, I believe, on the first round of the tournament on uh, some NBA draft board I looked at. I think it might have been the NBA draft net website. He was number 88. That was his, he was draft board rating. And as of today, he's number 41. And I still think he could rise even higher than that once people start really looking at the tape and establishing what his position is going to be. But, I mean, these guys are – the NCAA is helping them. So I know there's still talk about uh, you know, the, the hashtag not NCAA property and some of the issues that many players have had. But at the end of the day, going and playing in something like the NCAA tournament, playing in front of that spotlight is so much more important and so much better for your stock than going to the G League. Now, if you're a talent like Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, guys like that – really doesn't even matter what you do in the G League because that talent's there and everybody knows it. But I do think what we've seen in this tournament, especially from Suggs, from Juzang, from guys like that, really is going to play a factor in some of these guys uh, deciding whether to go to the G League or not as long as you know the NBA doesn't change up here in 2022 and allow players to go right to the draft. In, in terms of draft stock falling, uh, one name that really jumps out to me, and you hate to base something off one game because Corey Kispert had a really good tournament, but seeing him get out physical so much and seeing him just not be able to recover and not play very good defense when his offense wasn't flowing, I think hurt him. I've I seen that in a lot of boards he had, he had started to rise a little bit. He's never moved in my board. I've always thought of him as somewhere between that 20 and 25 area. Uh, I, I'm a little biased. I'm not going to draft a a pretty average-sized forward senior in the top 15. That's just something I don't, I don't think NBA teams would do. He would be perfect for a team that maybe gets eliminated in the first or second round of the playoffs, and he's just a good guy, come off the bench and be a 3-and-D-style player. Uh, his draft stock definitely kind of went down in the draft a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, that's the only guy I think draft stock hurt. I think uh, Moses Moody's draft stock could have been helped a little bit more in the draft, but I still have him holding kind of steady in that top 15 area. But for the most part, just guys really helping their stock in this year's NCAA tournament. Oh, very nice. So how about you, Glow? Any, any risers? 
Yeah, I mean, so I mean, Cody covered it pretty well. Um, I'll add to it a little bit. So I think of the guys that were in the final four, in addition to to Juzang and um, and Davion Mitchell, I thought Quentin Grimes over the course of the tournament from from Houston it had increased his stock pretty well. Uh, so you know, hats off to those guys. Uh, I think on the negative side, I was going to mention Kispert. He, I think he was dinged a little bit in that championship game. But as as Cody was mentioning, I think you know some people maybe had him creeping up a little bit higher than he should have gone in the first place. So, you know, I think he he probably ends up where he was going to end up uh, without inflation overall. But I think the guy who who really got hurt by this was was drew timmy and and he's a guy who maybe wouldn't even have come out this year anyway but uh, i only say it because people were talking about him like he died or something you know like he went from you know maybe uh, a potential like oh you know maybe he's going to be a late first round pick this year maybe he'll stay and and be a you know a higher pick next year to like now people are saying or at least you know i'm seeing people on twitter a lot saying oh there, he cannot play in the nba whatsoever like he's he's never going to play in the nba so I want to set the, the record straight on, on Timmy a little bit here, right? So for people who just watched maybe the last game, watched the championship game, or maybe saw, caught a little bit of him in the, in the final four, uh, Timmy was the Carl, Mo- uh, Carl Malone award winner for the best power forward in the country this year, right? He was, he was a guy that before the championship game, I think personally I had him as the favorite for the most outstanding player of the entire tournament. He was averaging like 25, 26 points in the tournament, something like that. He bodied, uh, reasonably well, Evan Mobley from USC, who who Cody mentioned is is probably going to be a lottery pick this year, you know. And and even in that championship game, yeah, he didn't look good. He wasn't doing great on defense. He he had five or six turnovers. Uh, he also went five for seven on field goals. So and, and he had some foul trouble. Like he 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 wasn't in the entire game. Uh, but like even with with all of the adversity that was going on, he still has touch. He will always have touch. And that's something that is that is uh, of value in in the NBA. So I think Drew Timmy got a real wake up call. I don't know if he'll ever be able to to really be a starter in the NBA. I don't know if he'll be you know playing solid minutes with with his defensive deficiencies. But I think he is going to come back to school. I think he is going to be an NBA pro probably probably go to the draft next year. Uh, and, and I think this may have been a blessing in disguise for to get that wake up call. All right. Um, a couple of changes here, more than a couple, actually, uh, when it comes to head coaching jobs on the men's side here. And most recently today, guys, uh, Sean Miller was fired uh, from the Arizona Wildcats. Um, Shaka Smart in Marquette and Porter Moser accepted a job at Oklahoma. Uh, so a little bit of good, a little bit of bad there. Uh, I also wanted to add two other fairly or actually three other fairly big moves. Uh, so we got uh, Tony Stubblefield at DePaul. I mentioned because it's a Big East team. Um, so I really love that hire, giving a guy who's been a great assistant at Cincinnati and Oregon uh, for many years uh, a chance at the head job. Uh, the other two I want to mention is Mike Woodson at Indiana. That was a big, uh, <laughs> big controversy for many, uh, many months there, it seemed like, although it was probably only a couple of days because everybody at Indiana thought that uh, Brad Stevens was coming back. Uh, but they bring in Mike Woodson. Uh, a lot of people were trashing the hire as Mike is an NBA guy. He's got no college experience. I don't, I believe as, as a coach. Um, but he comes in and makes a couple of really big splashes. Um, he steals, uh, Dan Fife away from Tom Izzo in Michigan state who are presented by rocket mortgage. Um, and he, uh, 
he gets a uh, five-star recruit Christian Lander or former five-star recruit Christian Lander to uh, recommit to, to Indiana and take his name out of the transfer portal. Um, he's got uh, Parker Stewart coming back as well, getting guys to take their name out of the transfer portal. He's getting tied to Mary, maybe even having Larry Brown come out of the woodwork and, and come back and help coach. Um, I think he even got a, a recruit in. I just saw on Twitter, I forget forget who or, or I'm sorry, another transfer. Um, and so like, he's making a lot of moves, you know, Mike Woodson, I think is kind of going to be like a, maybe even the, a better version of a uh, Herm Edwards at, at Arizona state, you know? Um, so, so, so I like that move. Uh, and then, uh, UNC, uh, Herbert or Hubert Davis, um, they, uh, promoted him from an extent. Uh, the jury is out on that one. I don't love the move only because UNC is the blue blood of all blue bloods, and they could basically have probably anybody that they want in college ranks in the country, and maybe even some of the NBA guys. So they could have gotten you know a much more established head coach. Uh, now uh, Davis, you know he he's been a he's been a great assistant there for for a good number of years. Um, so we'll see how he's able to go. But you know a lot of times. When uh, when these teams hire somebody who's uh, who doesn't have any head coaching experience and is kind of a, a beloved former player, it doesn't always work out. I mean, I'm looking at uh, Kevin Ollie at UConn, uh, Chris Mullen at St. John's, um, Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. It's been okay, but I don't think it's been fantastic. Uh, I mean, the the one that's really stood out that has worked is Juwan Howard at Michigan, but you know that's that's only been two years. So uh, I'm sure there's others that have, that have happened, but I mean, you know, taking a, a guy who's, you know, who, who's never been a head coach in, in the college ranks or, or in any ranks and giving him the keys to the, you know, perhaps the very best job in the country is, is kind of suspect. Um, so I, I don't love the move, but maybe it's going to work out for him. Um, let me go back to your original question uh, real quick. Porter Moser at Oklahoma. Uh, again, I'm not sure I love that move. I would have liked for him to stay in Chicago or the Midwest as he's kind of a, an Illinois um, hometown boy. Um, he does have some assistant coaching experience at Texas A&M and, and Arkansas Little Rock. So I imagine he probably does ha have some recruiting connections there in Big 12 land. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's it's going to be a much more competitive conference for him, obviously, um, above the uh, the MVC. Uh, so so we'll see how that goes for uh for Porter Moser. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they gave him a, a, a boatload of cash. So uh, at, at the end of the day, he'll at least have that if it, if it doesn't work. Uh, and then Marquette, um, you know, I kind of like the move for them. They took a risk with, uh, with going to Shaka, you know, and I, and I think your school like that, or, or basically any school outside of the, the blue bloods or, or maybe a couple, a couple of the other top schools, uh, you kind of have to take some swings. And if they get, they get the Shaka smart who, took VCU to a final four, then it's a, it's a big hit success if they don't. And they, and they get the shock smart who was kind of middling at Texas. then you know what, they're not really that much worse off than they were uh, last this past year with, uh, with Wojo. So uh, they just kind of rebooted after a couple of years, I guess. Yeah. Going back to, to North Carolina and, you know, Glow mentioned some names of former players who didn't have success. And the one big one you missed was, was Matt Doherty who took that job at North Carolina when Roy Williams turned it down in 2000, had one okay season and then just fell apart. It was an awful coach and North Carolina had two of their worst seasons in program history went 8 20 that 2002 year and barely finished over 500 in 2003 and he was shown the door when Roy Williams finally accepted the job so there is some risk with Hubert Davis I will say that I do like that North Carolina went to Roy Williams and said you know hey 
where do you kind of think we should go with this? And they were pretty clear cut that, you know, hiring Hubert Davis was the best move for the program. I think Wes Miller was the name we all sort of had circled. I really thought Wes Miller would be the guy they would go to. He's had success uh, as a head basketball coach, but I do think with Roy Williams' blessing, Hubert Davis was the right move there. I did think they would wait at least another week because there were some rumors that they may give a little call to Mark Few just to sort of see where he was at. Of course, he is the you know true loyal to Gonzaga guy, but I think there was a lot of talk that you're going to kind of look at your squad this year and go, man, we got four NBA prospects on our starting lineup. If we win a national championship this year, this is all we can do. You know, I've reached the pinnacle. If we don't, am I ever going to have a team this good again? So I thought Carolina may reach out to him. But I, I do think Hubert Davis is a, a very good hire for them. He talked about Shaka Smart going to Marquette. That was one of those deals where Shaka got out before he was made to get out. In the end, though, Texas ends up winning that deal, getting Chris Beard. Chris Beard leaving Tech and going to Texas is a huge get. You're talking maybe the biggest name in the biggest name that people probably didn't even know was available. As it seemed, Chris Beard was all in on Texas Tech, but he's going back to his alma mater. You're talking about a great coach with a great philosophy, a great basketball IQ. His teams always give it 110. percent You got to remember this Texas Tech team had one guy who was a you know top 50 recruit, and he was a transfer in. He fills in places great. He develops his players. That's a huge get for Texas. Now, the only thing making me pump my brakes a little bit is that Shaka Smart was the biggest name in the coaching prospect world back when Texas hired him, and it just didn't work out. So I'm excited to see and anxious to see what Chris Beard can do because, I mean, Texas, you know, they're not really a blue blood, but whatever, I mean, you know, whatever the red blood, like whatever the next step down is, that's where Texas should be with their ability to recruit and have just a, a great team. Anxious to see what Chris Beard can do there. Outside of that, everything else, uh, fair fair hires. Again, the Hubert Davis one and Chris Beard to me are the big ones that stand out. Anxious to see what Marquette can do with Shaka Smart. Uh, Loyola Chicago losing Porter Moser. I don't even think they'll have a big step back because Drew Valentine comes right in and will pretty much have the same sort of philosophy there. Mike Woodson does have an NBA game. More so than we you know know about from how he'll do in college basketball, but I think for Indiana, if you can't get Brad Stevens, they're gonna kind of stay true to their program as well. A lot of these guys staying true to their program. Uh, former NBA players getting some good jobs as well. Uh, Speedy Claxon going to take over at Hofstra. And then you got Kim English leaving the Tennessee bench to go to George Mason. Uh, anxious to see what those guys can do as well. As uh, There's been a, a lot of turnover. And Duke loses an assistant coach as well. Nate James going to Austin P. And I put on Twitter, you know, looking at Roy Williams retiring sort of puts things into perspective. You know, I think Coach K probably in his final stretch here. Uh, now, I know people have been saying that since about 2007, but I do really, truly think that uh, you know Coach K would never end on a year like this. Uh, but I would be shocked to see him coach pass next year. I just sort of get that feeling. Duke's put together a great recruiting class. We'll talk a little bit about later on. But I do think that uh, Coach K definitely down to no more than three years, and I would not be one bit surprised if this is his last year. I also think Tom Izzo is in his final two years as a Michigan State coach. So, you know, those are going to be two of the biggest openings in college basketball. Uh, coach K would be, or the Duke situation would be similar to North Carolina situation, where they're going to want to hire someone who wore the Duke blue. You're talking about, you know, so many different guys. You know, just off the top of my head, some of the names that could be there. You look at Chappelle over at Pittsburgh. Don't think he would leave Pittsburgh that quick. 
there's just a lot of great coaches from that coaching tree that'd be interested in Michigan State the same way. Uh, but I think in the next two years, those will be two new coaches there. So the Blue Bloods, I think, we'll, you know, we'll talk more about the Blue Bloods returning uh, for 2021-2022. Wouldn't be surprised though, in the next three years, there's a lot of changes to the benches of the Blue Bloods as well. Absolutely. All right, let's just uh, shift gears really quick over to the women's side of things. Uh, their final four was quite amazing. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, both the men and women put on a show. Uh, going back to the final four last Friday, uh, what a game between South Carolina and Stanford. Um, right down to the last wire and basically a, a layup bunny hopping right out of the rim <laughs> at the end there, uh, saving Stanford to continue on to win the championship eventually. Uh, our girl, Paige Buchers, unfortunately couldn't make it to the championship game, Cody, but they, you know, she was defeated by Arizona, who eventually moved on. Um, Ari McDonald, man, amazing player in this tournament. I mean, there's so many names we can just go on and list for the, the women's side of things. How did you enjoy it, Cody? How did you like the women's side of things? Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic tournament. I think all in all, in terms of so many different games, I thought the women's tournament was a little bit better than the men's tournament overall. Uh, Stanford had a wonderful year through and through, and I definitely think uh, in terms of, of the best team in the tournament, uh, that was Stanford. Now, in terms of the team that I think we were all kind of secretly rooting for, I, I think by far that was Arizona. Uh, they kind of stepped into that Cinderella run. They were just real fun to watch. I mean, I, I definitely caught myself really all in on, on what they were doing and definitely was, I, I felt like an Arizona fan for a little bit. But, you know, Stanford was uh, had a wonderful run, a, a wonderful team. Uh, but that Arizona team is going to be a team to watch. I, I think, you know, the Pac-12 in general in the, on the women's side, and I guess now on the men's side as well from what we've seen, but the women's side of the Pac-12, I mean, that's that's the conference right there. So Arizona, you know, they're going to lose a few players, but I still think they're going to be back and be one of the top teams next year. Uh, and, and again, we go back to UConn. Uh, Gino has now lost in three straight Final Fours. Uh, again, I mentioned Coach K, I mentioned Tom Izzo, we talked Roy Williams. You kind of wonder when Gino starts to say, you know, maybe it's time to move on from this. Uh, he said post game that th this motivates him, that this is the reason he can't sleep at night and is ready for the next season. So who knows what UConn does? I, I still think, you know, Paige Beckers, again, WNBA has some different rules. She can't go pro, so she'll definitely be back next year with more. Uh, I think they have two more top five recruits coming in. So, you know, UConn going to be as solid as ever next year as well. And uh, again, Paige Beckers really stole a lot of the headlines with how great she played this year. And that's the one, I guess, you know, I mean, she she should be allowed to turn pro. That's a wild rule. But you do have the guarantee that she's back next year, which gives you that player that you have to see because she is must-see TV. She didn't have a great game against Arizona, but all in all, I mean, she, she's the face of women's college basketball going into next season. Absolutely. Thoughts on the women's story, Mangalo? Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Um, you know, I thought the, uh, at least for the Final Four, the most outstanding player was, was Haley Jones uh, for – for Stanford, 24 points against South Carolina, and then uh, then 17 uh, in the championship game against Zona. You know, so they did a little bit of a better job defensively on her, but uh, still she managed to to get the game high, 17 points. Uh, and then you know, and then it ended in a thriller. You know, came down to that that last uh, last second heave there uh, for for Arizona, which was uh, unfortunately fell short for them. And uh, and you know, and Stanford's uh, cutting down the cutting down the nets. So. Um, you know, great, great tournament. Um, yeah, uh, mired in a little bit of of controversy here, some inequality with uh, with the men. Um, you know, unfortunate and and certainly something that needs to 
rectified. Uh, but I, I don't want to let that take the shine away from, uh, you know, fantastic uh, job by these great um, athletes in, in the women's game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, shout out to Haley Jones. I feel just with all of us, you know, looking at Paige Bukers and the face of women's basketball this year in college. I think Haley Jones had a great, incredible season as well. And her, her last couple of games, leading the team in scoring, shooting the ball well uh, in the championship game alone against, um, you know, Arizona. Uh, she shot the ball 57%, had, had 17 points to lead um, Stanford all the way to the championship too. And then she hit a big shot, uh, I believe at the end of that uh, South Carolina, the game against South Carolina on the, the Friday night too, down in the clutch um, to, I believe that was the game winning shot for Stanford. But yeah, nonetheless, guys, I think overall what we watched was a product on both sides and in two different cities, obviously a lot of controversies, like you mentioned glow with that. But overall, I mean, just the gameplay, the way that the games ended towards the end, it just seemed like the women's eventually got more competitive as as the tournament went on. And the men's too, I guess the biggest thing was in the final four, there technically was a blowout with, you know, Houston not being able to compete much in that uh, final four game versus the women's side where you had more competitive games. I mean, the UConn-Arizona game was a little bit more competitive than most of us, you know, would have would have assumed um, it, it would have been more competitive, more, you know, back and forth. But it looks like Arizona kind of ran away a little bit or, uh, later in the fourth quarter with that one. I think it was like, you know, more teeter tottering between 10, 8 points. Uh, UConn just couldn't come back in that game. But yeah, I mean, we, we would definitely keep, you know, pushing along the, um, the equality issue there. Shoot or pass. Let's get into a round here of shoot or pass. Uh, you guys listening, if you don't know the rules, the rules are I will read a statement here. These gentlemen that are playing along, they'll shoot if they agree with the statement. If they disagree with the statement, they will pass. Uh, first shooter pass here for you, gentlemen. The NCAA should move the championship game to be an additional week later to avoid meltdowns like Gonzaga had Monday night. Glow, we'll start with you. Shooter pass on that one. I'm going to shoot that. I hate the the 920 tip at, on, on a Monday night. I don't necessarily think it should be a week later, but they should definitely – rework the the scheduling so that game is on a saturday or sunday you know a, a six or seven seven p.m tip uh and i think it it really affected the tournament this year I, you know i i think baylor wins that game that championship game you know 99 times out of 100 but i i do think that that late emotional uh, overtime win for for gonzaga over ucla uh and then playing 48 hours later um had something to do with with how you know how badly they they lost uh, on on Monday night. So for multiple reasons, I'm I'm shooting that one. So I'll pass. Now I do shoot what uh, Glow just said. I I don't understand Monday night at nine o'clock, especially when the women had that great six o'clock Sunday on Easter start yeah. time. I mean, they, everybody's watching that just around the TV. So I shoot that one hundred percent, especially someone who goes to work at four thirty in the morning. Like, come on, man, we can't be doing that. Uh, especially when you know you have Molly Cyrus and concert and all these things going on. We can't be doing that. Uh, but you know the the, the final four. The setup of the NCAA tournament's always been, you know, you play the first and second round, you go Sweet 16 Elite Eight, then you go Final Four Championship. So I'm fine with us changing it to where you're playing, you know, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or even, you know, a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I think that would be 
the the move to make but i still think you do have the one day in between i think that's just sort of part of the tournament nature i mean that's you know that's the draw of it, it it's a tournament and, and like most tournaments you know at the high school level and you know in the smaller college level i mean you're just playing back to back you're playing you know with no day in between you play the semifinal on a thursday and the championship on a friday so at least here you're getting that day in between and i mean i mean that just makes it who's got the grit who's got the determination who can power through you know what you've been through we've seen it so many times and that's how you know the idols of march are made uh gonzaga did fall apart but i I think that was just a small factor in them getting beat by baylor i think baylor was the better team so uh i'll pass on that i I like the structure but i do shoot that we cannot do monday nine o'clock championships that's crazy let's never do that again I, I yeah, I, I could agree with that one too with you glow because I'm looking at that man. First of all, I thought it was nine, then it switched to nine twenty, I guess, you know, after the twenty four hours after on the Sunday. And then it's like, well, you know, I'm talking about it with some buddies, like, well, you know, Gonzaga, they're West Coast. I'm like, is this what we get for having the Pac twelve rise in the tournament? <laughs> These late games, right? <laughs> all right. Yeah, I gotta agree with you guys on that one for sure though. Please give us an early start on Monday. Earlier start. Uh, shooter pass, though. Now that Baylor convincingly won, Gonzaga's run was underwhelming and they should be considered frauds. Cody, shooter pass. Oh, I'll pass that. I mean, look, the big thing I've seen on Twitter, the question was, uh, is Gonzaga a blue blood? And that's kind of become the big question. And again, I go back to what I said earlier. I don't know what the stipulation is. I would, I would say a blue blood's a team that's won championships, so that would keep Gonzaga out of that. But, I mean, Gonzaga's one of the more consistent teams over the last 20 years than any other team in college basketball. They don't always have the top-tier recruits, but they still find a way to make a run. Then they start getting the big recruits. They're still finding ways to make a run. Now they're getting top-five NBA prospect recruits, one-and-dones even, still making a run. Nothing changes the way that team plays. Nothing changes the team camaraderie. Mark Few has established himself as one of the top-five college basketball coaches in the world today, maybe one of the top 10 college basketball coaches of all time for what he's done at Gonzaga. So, and look, I know it's we're in March, and we all knew this would happen. We forgot about that wild non-conference schedule. They had the one of the toughest non-conference schedules. I have to look at the numbers. I don't have it in front of me, but I mean, it was top five. It had to be. Now, they lost the Baylor game. They lost the Tennessee game. They may have lost one more game as well, so they didn't get to play all of them. But, I mean, this team's still going in there and, and beating people who are out of conference on the East Coast, and we're doing fine because they wanted to prove that we know we have a squad. So uh, definitely not a fraud, and this is a team that's, you know, I'll talk about it a little bit later on, but, I mean, Gonzaga, guess what, is a top-five team next year too. So, no, I will pass completely on that in, in no way, shape, or form. Or are they fraudulent? I'm passing that one as well. Uh, yeah, w- without uh, prejudice to Baylor here, uh, Gonzaga had one of the more impressive seasons in in recent memory. Even even with uh, factoring in that championship game, you know they went undefeated up until the championship game. Gave us one of the best Final Four games of all time. Had some of the highest efficiency metrics ever. I think they may have the highest uh, Ken Palm rating of all time. They had three guys named all Americans in, in Kispert, Timmy and Suggs. We mentioned that, uh, that, that Timmy had won the, uh, the award for the best power forward in, in the country. Kispert won, won the award for the uh, best small forward in the country. Suggs is going to get drafted in the lottery. Uh, it was a fantastic season all throughout aside from the the championship game and i would say even if they had had lost the game but had had made a little bit of a better showing 
you know, it, it still wouldn't have made much of a difference overall to me in terms of, of how good that season is. Now, if they had won the game, that's a, that's a different story. You know, they'd probably be going down as, as one of the best teams of all time, but I'm, I'm passing on, on the, the allegation that they're a fraud. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting because you look at the history of Gonzaga. Mark Few's been there for so long. It seems like every time they're set up for just turn the corner and, and to get to that big moment, they're just never – they can just never do it, guys. Like, you look at Adam Morrison and, and you, you know, because you're going to get these highlights back and forth. You're going to see the Jalen Suggs, you know, shot, and then we have to talk about the championship game where they blow an undefeated season. Um, I, I just think it's just a stockpile of just the history. You know, it's, if we go from Adam Morrison to the 2017 tournament where they lost, you know, to UNC in that tournament, they get a couple years to get a chance now and still can't close the deal, even though they went undefeated and, you know, in what we can call like a little wacky of a season. So, I mean, if they're top five next year, I, I'll root for Gonzaga. I, I think that Gonzaga has to turn the corner but at this point guys i mean are, are we talking about like a college basketball jinx here at some point because i mean they're finishing at the top almost like what it seems year after year it just can't turn the corner i'm gonna i'll pass on on the proposition of gonzaga <laughs> as a as a college basketball jinx i mean you look at any at any team that that is a blue blood or, or a championship team and any coach who had that that moniker of can't win the big one and you look back and and they had they had the the, the moment that they got over the hump. I mean, you look at, at at more recent coaches, um, you know, like like a Tony Bennett at at UVA or Jay Wright at Villanova. There was a time when which it was you know can either of those guys win the big one? Even you know even look at at Coach K uh, back in in the early nineties. You know he had gone to um, at one point he, he had gone to back to back or not no, i'm sorry not back to back but he had gone to at least two championship games and hadn't made it and i think had gone to two other final fours and hadn't won the championship uh and then you know obviously we know that k becomes the, the best coach or already was arguably maybe the best coach in the country uh and then finally just proved it on the court so um yeah to me it's you know everybody almost every team has to go through that moniker unless they just get kind of that that dumb luck UConn run that they you know, just knock off championships as a as a seven seed or, or what have you um but otherwise every every team has to go through that yeah absolutely all right let's shift gears here to something a little bit more uh, positive and overachieving with the tournament now over and we can consider the men and women of the Pac-12, they should be considered the best basketball conference until dethroned next season. Cody Shooter Pass. Well, I will uh, half and half. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I guess I guess so. That means I'll pass because the women Pac-12's been pretty established for a few years now. Where that is the conference. Of course, you have usually uh, one or two SEC teams, one or two ACC teams, couple Big Ten teams that are all right there. Uh, but always getting five to eight teams from the Pac-12 to the tournament. The women's Pac-12 is what we kind of look at this year, like the Big Ten. Uh, they're they're always like that. They're pretty consistent. Look at on the men's side. Look, the Pac-12 had a great run. And starting with UCLA, there's a chance UCLA could enter next season as the number one team in the nation. Now, I think, and I believe we talked about this in our group chat as well, where if you're if you're just saying, you know, you need to probably test the NBA waters, uh, probably wouldn't hire an agent, but just to see if anyone is giving you those first round looks. 
Uh, if not, though, maybe you come back because UCLA did this with no seniors. They have no other players to be projected in, in the top 60 of the draft. Uh, you got Jules Bernard, who played great this season. You got Tiger Campbell, who's a great defensive point guard. All these guys could be back. A Jacquez Jr., you're always going to get a few big recruits. They don't have any uh, real big names uh, coming to UCLA next year. Uh, well, they do have one, Peyton Watson, who's a good small forward. He'll be there next year. Uh, but, but, you know, they have the potential to be a top five team in the preseason. But then outside of that, you don't really have another team that you love. Oregon could end up in the top 25. Dana Altman always does a good job kind of re, you know, revamping what he has in Oregon. Uh, but besides that, USC will fall off a little bit when Evan Mobley leaves. Uh, there's nobody really else that, that catches my eye. O- Oregon State, as good as they were, uh, that was three seniors filling things up. So those guys are gone. Uh, so for the most part, look, this was a, a great run for the Pac-12 and a marvelous tournament. But I think UCLA maybe just punched their ticket to uh, back to Blue Blood status, where I think they'll be a top five, without a question, top ten team for the most part of next season. Even if Juzang leaves, I think they're a top ten team with all the guys they have coming back and a top 25-ranked recruiting class. But I still don't think they're on the same pa- the same page as the ACC in 2021, the Big Ten in 2021, and the Big 12 in 2021. I think they're still behind all three of those conferences. The women, for sure. I don't even think there's much conference competition for the women. But overall, as a complete conference, I'll pass. Yeah, I'm, I'm passing as well. I guess halfing and halfing it. Like like Cody said, Yeah, the women, I mean, you have a you know, Pac-12 championship game and, and you know, just a, a fairly, fairly dominant showing. Uh, you know, throughout the season. So, you know, t- to me, they've got to be in, in that conversation as the top conference in, in women's ball, but on the men's side, you know, they're, they're, they're not even in the, in the conversation, in, in my opinion, I mean, they had a fantastic tournament. So don't get me wrong. They were playing a, a lot of teams playing really great ball at the end of the year. And, and maybe some of the, the other conferences were, were overrated throughout the year. Um, but you know, they, they got five teams into the, into the tournament, you know, versus, you know, say the, the, the big 10 getting in nine, um, and, uh, and the big 12, uh, having the championship team and, uh, and getting in seven. Um, so from top to bottom, you're looking at the numbers, you know, there, there's no way the, the PAC 12 can be the top conference in, in men's college basketball. Uh, and, and that'll hold, hold till, uh, till next year as well, in my opinion. All right. Uh, last year pass here, the blue bloods for the men will return big next season. And for some teams, their success in the tournament this year are once in a lifetime opportunities. Glow shooter pass. Uh, I guess I'll shoot that one. Uh, the blue bloods will be back. You know, we saw, so UCLA being the, the one blue blood who really showed out this year. And, and uh, I'd say they're going to be better next year and maybe they'll be, they'll be higher ranked next year. I don't know if they'll end up, you know, making the final four again or anything like that, but, but I think they'll certainly earn, earn a higher seed and, and earn, uh, higher uh, national rankings next year. Uh, Kansas, you know, they they did okay. They ended up with a three seed. They, they unfortunately had a COVID pause right before the tournament started. So who knows what what really could have been for them? But it, it wasn't a banner year for them. I think they'll be better the next year. Um, Duke, UNC, and Kentucky, I think, will all be back to some degree. The one I worry about there a little bit is is UNC with uh, with the coaching change. But you know who knows how that's going to go. And I, and I think. Uh, Duke and Kentucky with with the the one and done uh, formula, uh, you know, I think this year was just kind of tough for them to to have the teams gel and and to uh, 
you know, to, and have uh, everybody learn the the systems and, and things like that. So I think those teams are, are going to be back. Uh, and the other team that's going to be back who, you know, a lot of people are debating is a, is a blue blood. What I certainly would say is not. Uh, and we just mentioned is, is Gonzaga. Um, you know, I know Cody said he was going to talk about them a little bit, so I don't want to step on it too much. Um, but, uh, you know, they could be even better this year than they were um, I'm sorry, better next year than they were this year with, with some of the recruits they have coming in. Uh, and, and especially if guys like, uh, Joel AIE and Nebhard end up, end up staying and, and playing the extra year. So, uh, yeah, I think the blue bloods are back next year. Yeah. 100% shoot. Uh, I think that's, uh, for sure. Uh, I agree 100% with what glow said too. If there's one that you really need to put a question mark by it's North Carolina, uh, with the coaching change, uh, Hubert Davis is kind of behind on some things there Roy Williams did not have a great recruiting class coming in. A lot of teams have, I think there was, uh, eight guys in the top 20 considering North Carolina. None of them went there or have signed there. And the guys that are still pending aren't looking at North Carolina. Uh, so they're going to really depend on guys coming back and they're going to lose a few with the coaching change regardless of how much they love or respect Huber Davis uh, it is just hard to go through a coaching change at that level and accept that you may have a little bit of a setback here next year for everything else though I, I think it's for sure Duke's got another recruiting class that's almost almost on tap with what they did with that Zion and RJ Barrett and Kim Reddish recruiting class not that good but I think it's right around there it really comes down to if they can maybe get one more uh, if Patrick Baldwin Jr. flips and decides to come to Duke which is rumored that he may still be considering Duke for a long time when he was a sophomore in college he was all about Duke but things have changed over the last few years uh, if he signs Duke will have that top tier recruiting class with Benchero and Griffin and Kills and, and then Baldwin when that will give them uh, a real good jump on the season, especially if Matthew Hurt decides to come back. That's the one that we're really kind of still waiting on. If Matthew Hurt decides to test the draft waters, he'll be a second-round guy. If he stays, he'll still be a second-round guy. It just kind of goes into, into what's happening there. Kentucky is going to be a team that's not really as one-and-done as I think most people think they would next year. Uh, they're mostly going to have some good transfers. That'll be huge for Kentucky because they've lost transfers this year. They're getting some. I can never remember uh, how to say the dude's name, but the guy from West Virginia who was a preseason All-American, uh, he He's transferring to Kentucky. Kellen Grady was a great guard at Davidson. He's immediately eligible. He'll be there at Kentucky. And they did sign uh, Damian Collins, who's a top 10 recruit. And they'll have a few other guys as well. I think Kentucky will be back and be a contender in the SEC. And Kansas, you know, Phil Self, they're, they're always there. They're always going to be around. Uh, you know, Glow hit it on the head. That pause really just threw them off. I thought they could even be a team that makes a little run in the tournament, but that pause was just a killer. They'll be returning some key players as always. They've also signed uh, a few guys, and they're expected to get a few uh, pretty good transfers as well uh, with Yasufu, the point guard, coming in, and Cal Martin, the big man, coming in. So that'll be pretty big for them. Uh, I think North Carolina is the question more. We already talked about UCLA. I think they're a top five team next year. So I think for, for all, all accounts, the Blue Bloods are, you know, as good next year as they've been in previous years. I even think UCLA and Duke could both be top five teams once next year begins. Absolutely. All right, guys, that is our show today. Uh, time for some shout outs here. John, you got any shout outs today? Yeah, yeah. I want to shout out my nephew, uh, Jalen Smith. He uh, he won our, our family uh, bracket pool, which, uh, which we all take very seriously. Uh, awesome. And uh, he ended up with Baylor correctly picking Baylor as the champion and uh and one one a really close uh close pool it could have come down to about four or five people at the end there so uh yeah congrats to him 
Nice. Cody, how about you? Shoutouts? <laughs> no, I don't think I have any shoutouts because y'all know I won all my pools. I, I won everything I was in. There was, there was nobody else winning my pools. <laughs> all right. Fair enough, guys. Uh, gentlemen, this has been fun. Tournament was great. Coverage was great here. Uh, Cody, Jonathan, you guys want to tease coming up here to the people on baseline times? Uh, yeah, sure. So I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but I do have a roster tracker out for the Big East Conference. Uh, basically tracking all transfers, returning seniors, NBA draft entrance, any sort of roster action that that's going to be happening in, happening in the Big East. And for those that don't know, this year is con going to continue to be crazy uh, in terms of, uh, of unprecedented events in in, uh, in college sports and particularly basketball. So all, all of the seniors have been given an extra year of eligibility. Uh, all, all the players are, are able to have a penalty-free transfer. Uh, so essentially we've seen, I think it's, it's 26% of players in, in men's college basketball enter the transfer portal. I haven't even checked what the number is today, so it might be up to 28, 29% at this point. So a ton of, of roster turnover. Teams are going to look drastically different than, than they have this year or, or in years past. So a lot of activity to keep track of. Uh, and then the other thing coming out uh, is I will have uh, at least one article, maybe a couple, uh, getting you ready for uh, FCS college uh, playoffs here, uh, football playoffs coming up uh, here in the spring. So uh, be, be ready for that. Nice, nice. And where can people find you at, Globe? Yeah, find me at uh, Pod Northeast on Twitter and, of course, at BaselineTimes.com. Awesome. How about you, Cody? Anything you want to plug? Yeah, man, it's about that time. Once the tournament ends, I, I cry for a couple hours, but then I get in draft mode, and that's where I am now. So a couple things to plug. First off, don't talk a lot about it, but the NFL draft's also a huge thing in mind, and I've been so deep in that, and then every time I get perfect, I'm like, here it is. There's a freaking trade. So I keep getting a little behind there. So now there's been another trade. So my first NFL mock draft, which I only do three. I'm not Mel Kuyper. I'm not releasing 27 of them. There's only three. I'll have that one out on Monday on Baseline times with you know those top quarterbacks going one two three and then we'll kind of fill in the board from there uh, of course the nba drafts my baby i love it it's 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 my whole world so i'm ready for that uh, i use glow's tools so much because there's so many guys coming in and out and that's really going to shape the way college basketball looks uh my first big board not the mock draft because i'm not doing no mock draft until the nba season is completed because again I'm none of those ESPN guys. I'm not giving you 47 different versions of it. That's silly. We need to wait until the things are finalized in the playoffs before I can start telling you where people are going. But the big board is pretty much set in stone because there was a lot of good things. Still got Cade, Cade, uh, Cade Cunningham 1, Evan Mobley 2. Uh, those G League guys, look, man, if, you, if you've been sleeping and I've been paying attention, get a hop on YouTube and find those G League guys because Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga are top five prospects. And depending on how things go, Either one of those guys could quickly jump over Evan Mobley. And there's a lot of NBA scouts who think that Jalen Green is the best guy in this draft. So if you've been all in on college basketball and don't know about kind of the new rules and the G League guys come from straight from high school, uh, you need to check those guys out because there's a good chance Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga could, could be the top, you know, two of the top four picks in this year's draft. Of course, Jalen Suggs, Scotty Barnes, Davian Mitchell. Uh, if you're looking, if you got a little international flair, you're going to start working on rolling your tongue, saying the cool names. Uh, well, the top international guy, his name's easy to say, Josh Giddy, is a talented guard 
from Australia. He's uh, really nifty with the ball. He's a Ricky Rubio that can shoot. Uh, he's very fun to watch. I have him right under Jalen Suggs and Davian Mitchell. And if you're looking for that big man who you do have to work on saying their name, Aparin Sungum is the European flavor of big man who can play a little bit inside, a little bit outside. He's going to be that stretch big that we see every year. I have him maybe sneaking up into that top 10 pretty close behind Franz Wagner and Kai Jones. So just some names that we'll talk a lot more about next week on Baseline Times when we get out some of our uh, uh, NBA big board. And here in the next month, it's expected that Shet Holgram will announce where he's going to school. If you don't know Shet Holgram, he's the number one rated basketball crew, uh, recruit. He is still unsigned. All signs point to him going to Gonzaga. If that happens, uh, as Glow mentioned earlier and has I've kind of teased, uh, Holgram is a game changer. Uh, if he goes to Gonzaga, and they're possibly getting a few guys to return. Uh, Mark Few teams next year is better than what they were this year. Uh, Chet Holmgren is, uh, you know, I know we've kind of got, you know, Luka Doncic's got that unicorn thing going on. Uh, Chet Holmgren, in a way, impresses me more than what Luka Doncic could do because this is a true seven-footer. This is a true freak of nature. Uh, I've seen him play many, many times, and it's not because I'm scouting. It's because his game really, truly mesmerizes me. Uh, if you don't really know him, he went viral last summer uh, because he put Steph Curry on skates with his own move. This is a seven-foot-tall, 180, 85-pound center slash point guard who is amazing to watch. He's a game-changer. Uh, he's still unsigned, but all, again, all signs point to Gonzaga. If there was a flip late, it would be Michigan. And you know, Juwan Howard would have some big plans for him. So that's just something to keep in mind here as we move through April, uh, because he will really dictate the way college basketball sort of shifts here in the next little bit. Uh, Jane Hardy will be a G League guy. And then Patrick Baldwin, he's the other guy that's unsigned. Uh, if he chooses Duke, Duke easily jumps back in to the top five coming into next year. And Coach K's got another squad similar to what he did in the Zion day. So those guys right now are ranked one, two, and four in the national recruit rankings and they're all unsigned so just something to keep an eye on if you're still got college basketball fever and are just sort of holding on hope and get ready for last year or get ready for next year of course you got to keep in mind where these freshmen go and there's three still unsigned so chet Holmgren, jane hardy patrick baldwin jr just a couple of names to uh keep your eye on in terms of the recruiting class coming in so all those things i'll have up baselinetimes.com and, uh, of course, you can find me, Twitter, Instagram, all those places under real name status, Cody underscore Gwen. And then, again, all my draft stuff will be baseline times with some nifty, cool graphics Chevy's taught me how to do. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Beautiful, guys. This has been uh, fun as well. We will be catching you guys another few more weeks. We'll get NBA playoffs as well here. As always, follow me at Baseline Chevy on Twitter. Give us a follow at Baseline Times Instagram and Twitter to check out those cool graphics Cody mentioned. 